0: this month. A while ago, there was a man. This man, uh, he had a lot of things going for him. Uh, He he came from a, what we might say, a well-off family. He had a good home life. Uh, This man uh, was young. Uh, He was good-looking. And he was a hard worker. And most importantly about this man is he loved God. And he went and he studied abroad in this three-year program. And he just flourished there. I mean, he was an intelligent young man. He, any subject he could understand, he knew. Uh, he even had to learn a second language while he was studying abroad. And he, you know, for me to uh, pass the chemistry was tough enough in English. But he had to learn a second language. But he excelled in all of the different educational backgrounds that, that he pursued. Uh, he even had his friends join him on this, uh, this three-year program. So he wasn't alone. Again, a lot of things going for him. He had a nickname given to him while he was there. And after three years of training, he actually stayed put uh, at that same place because they uh, liked him so much that they kept him on there. Well, during his stay, at one point, this young man's faith was tested. See, he was asked to do something that, you know, he just knew wasn't right. Uh, as a Matter of fact, he knew that if he would to do this thing, it would have been sinful for him to do that. And he knew that it wasn't right. And so he spoke up, he he had the courage to speak up and say, listen, I, I don't feel comfortable doing this. Can we find an alternative? And at first those in charge were hesitant, but eventually they agreed because they respected the young man so much. And at the end of the day, everything worked out fine. His faith was tested and yet he never wavered from that. Well, do you know who I'm talking about this morning? I know you do. Uh, this is Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. All those events, that was a very uh, broad way of explaining Daniel chapter 1. A very basic way. But that was this young man by the name of Daniel. Who was led into captivity to live uh, under the reign of the Babylonians. And he, uh, Daniel, is such a great example for all of us. When we study his life, to put the, that he was put in such a tough position. That come, and he came out the other side, his strength... And faith strengthened. Well, today, as mentioned before, as you've seen out here in the foyer and in the back, we are celebrating our graduates. And we know that this is a special time for them. You know, it's an exciting time, right? Because, hey, no more exams. I guess unless you're going, planning on going to college, then it will be a little bit more. But most importantly, there's no more bells. Right? Uh, that bell, I have nightmares of that bell still to this day, of uh, uh, ringing and having to go to the next class. But we also know that it's a trying time for many as well during this time. You're starting to make your own decisions. Right? You, you, you're starting to be treated more like an adult. Uh, you, there's more of a demand on you. There, there's going to be a little bit less grace given by others uh, now that you have graduated and you've moved on to this next step. And similar to Daniel... Similar to Daniel, your faith is going to be tested like never before. Now, our lesson this morning, if you're familiar with the book of Daniel, we're going to be in Daniel chapter three. So I'd invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter three. But our our lesson this morning is not going to be about Daniel, but about his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And their faith also was tested in this foreign land. You know, the, the, a foreign land, right? Uh, we see that today where, where God is being pushed out of our schools, pushed out of uh, any place, matter of fact. And they're dealing with the same thing. They're living in a land where, where God's just not known, the God of heaven. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to refresh ourselves with Daniel chapter 3. And again, this lesson is not just for the graduates, but it's for everyone. Because we want to know when our faith is, faith is tested, what should we do? See, when I look back at my younger days, you know, when I read Daniel chapter one, Daniel chapter three, when I think about my younger days as an early Christian, I often feel ashamed thinking about how Daniel and his three friends uh, lived their lives at such a young time and were able to stand up for themselves. You know, we often say, if I only knew what I know now, right? And and so when we read these accounts here uh, of these young men, sometimes I feel a little guilty of maybe how I lived my Christian life when I was younger. And so we're going to notice again how they responded and how we should respond today. So if you're with me in Daniel chapter 3, let's study some things together here. Let's just start by reading verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed to you, the command is given O peoples, nations and men of every language that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe and all kinds of music. You are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Verse 7. Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar the, the king had set up. So Nebuchadnezzar. The king of Babylon, he sets up this great, great idol. Uh, if we were to put this in our terms, it would have been about 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, right? This is sort of a weird dimensions for this idol, and we don't really know what it looked like. Maybe it was uh, an image of King Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe it was an image of one of their gods. But he did this for two reasons, right? Number one, because he wanted the people to see it. It was kind of like when you're traveling down the highway and you see those big crosses right next to the highway. They put those there because they want people to see it. It attracts you. It gets your mind focused on the cross. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to focus on this, this idol, to see it. And number two, he wanted the people to worship it. Right? So he brings all of his administration together. And he brings all those people together to, at this dedication of this image. And he commands them. Now you at the sound of all of this music. And listen, you're going to go back and tell the people as well. But at the sound of all that music, all, all people are to bow down and worship this golden image. And he even promised severe consequences if no one were to do that, right? A stiff penalty to be cast into a furnace of blazing fire. Now, we might read that and think, really? Really? Would he really go ahead and do that to, to throw someone into a fiery furnace? listen, Nebuchadnezzar, when we read about him in scriptures, he's a bloodthirsty, evil king. And in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 22, we read of these two false prophets, one by the name of Ahab and the other by the name of Zedekiah. And they are thrown into a fiery furnace just because King Nebuchadnezzar had the power to do so. So it's evident that he didn't care about that. He wasn't concerned about burning people alive. This was something that he practiced. And so he says, all the peoples were to, are to fall down and worship at the sound of this music. Let's, let's continue on, starting in verse 8. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down in worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king." See, apparently when, when, when Nebuchadnezzar said all people were to bow down, there were three men who didn't, did they? And the Babylonians, they brought these charges up to King Nebuchadnezzar. Listen, there are three men in your nation that are not bowing down to this, this, uh, this command. And it's not just three men, but these three Jews who are a part of your administration. You know, the Babylonians, this is a time to seek revenge, isn't it? Uh, Because these men have climbed the ladder, so to speak, uh, over them, uh, those who actually lived in the land. And these three men are about to face the ultimate test of their faith because they either have to disobey their God or they're going to have to disobey the king. They're either going to choose to fall down and go against God or to stand up and be thrown into that fiery furnace. Listen, these three men, they grew up knowing the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, that that god gave moses on mount sinai in exodus chapter 20 they knew that that first commandment thou shalt not have any other gods before me they understood that they understood that the reason why they're in captivity right now was mainly because of their idol worship they understand the consequences of of bowing down and worshiping idols and they're going to have to make this decision do i follow god or do i follow man And so Nebuchadnezzar, in this great anger and rage, he demands them to be brought before him. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, very well. But if you do not worship you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? You know, it kind of sounds there like Nebuchadnezzar is giving these three men a second chance, right? Again, they're sort of up in the administration of the Babylonians. And he maybe even sees the good things that God is doing through them. And so he has a little bit of a soft spot for these three men. And so he's giving them a second chance. But he says, "Listen, I'm going to give you that second chance." And besides, what other God can save you out of my hands? Well, here's verses 16 and 18 that Tyler read for us here this morning. I mean, this is the crux of this statement. This is their famous stance. Again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, "O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is better is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire." And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What God can save us, they're saying? Our God. Our God in heaven. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're not going to serve your your idols. We're not going to worship uh, that image. And just like in Daniel chapter 1, the faith of these young people, is beyond impressive. I don't know about you, but I was thinking about this yesterday. I don't know if we give our young people credit enough when they stand up to things like this. Right? When they stand up to worldly pressures and they decide that they're going to follow God and they're going to they're follow Scripture. Do we acknowledge that as much as we should in their lives? You remember what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12? He said, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Right, Just because you're a youth doesn't mean people can look down on you, but you can stand up in those moments. Surely there were other Jews at that moment who were bowing down to this golden image. But again, these young men, these three young men stood up, and we know how this chapter ends. We're not going to read the final verses in this chapter, but we know verses 19 through 30 how this ends. Right, Nebuchadnezzar, he is filled in a great rage. He tells his people to fire that fiery furnace seven times hotter Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're tied up by these valiant warriors taken to that fiery furnace, led into it. It's so hot that we're told that those who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to that fire, they died themselves because it was so hot. Now they're in the fiery furnace. And remember what Nebuchadnezzar sees? He sees them walking about unharmed. But there's also a fourth person in that fire. And and Nebuchadnezzar exclaims, it looks like one of the uh, the sons of the gods. Now, some uh, contend that maybe this was an angel of the Lord, and many believe that this was Jesus Christ himself, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ in that fire with them. But Nebuchadnezzar is so shocked, so amazed that he calls them out of the fire, right? And they don't smell like smoke. They're, they're, their hair's not singed. Their clothes, There's no damage to it. It's astonishing. And remember, at the end of this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar makes a decree and says, anyone who speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... They'll be torn limb from limb. Their house will be a rubbish heap because there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Now, I know you've studied this lesson in the past, maybe in a younger child's Bible class or even an adult Bible class. But there are some main lessons we often uh, point out to this. And number one, the Lord was with them in the fire. Right? And so we'll say the Lord was with them in the fire and he's with us in the fire, too. And again, that's a great lesson that we can learn. Another great lesson is the Lord did not save them from the fire, but rather through it, right? They still had to go into the fire to endure it. And we can make the application for Christians as well that we have to go through those trials as well. We have to go through those fires as well. And so those are some great lessons that we can learn. But what I want to focus in on this morning, again, is verses 16, 17, and 18. And notice, again, the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. A faith that says, I will face that fire If I have to, a faith that says I will trust God above everything else, even if he does not save me, I still will trust in him. And so we're going to notice here these three points this morning, again, from Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. When your faith is tested, Christians ought to, number one, stand up when others bow down. Stand up when others bow down. Again, they chose to stand up a couple of times, didn't they? When all else bowed down in fear. They did not give in to what everyone else was doing. You know, isn't that something that we often hear growing up? Uh, Maybe we're with our buddies and we get in trouble. And we say, well, you know, uh, we say to our parents, well, you know, so-and-so told me to do it. It really wasn't my fault. And what is our parents' response usually? Well, if they walked off a cliff, would you? Right? And that gets us, uh, our minds going and thinking that, oh man, I should have never followed them. I should have never done that. Well, see, look at the music plays and everyone falls down. Except for these three men. And guess what everyone sees? They see those three men standing. They see them standing in the land of Babylon. Again, in in this idolatrous land uh, that they didn't serve God. They didn't know God. This was a dark, dark land. They are being lights in that dark land. They are standing up. They are sending a message about who they serve and about their faith. You know, think about in your workplaces this morning, Or think about when you're in school. You know, you're going to find yourselves around others who, they're not living the Christian life. Right? They're not practicing the golden rule to do unto others as you would have them do to you. Uh, they're not practicing the first and second greatest commands to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or to love thy neighbor. They're not doing that. They're looking out for self. Well, when other people are bowing down, when they're going with the crowd... It's the perfect time for you and I to stand up. Don't be afraid, right? Uh, let me tell you about my God. Okay? Let me tell you about the faith. Okay? Uh, you know, this is why I don't curse. This is why I don't steal. This is why I don't lie or gamble. Uh, this is why I don't approve of evil, right? Because this is what I believe in. Or, or uh, uh, this is why I assemble on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings on Wednesdays. This is why I can't come to that event because of my faith and because i want to be with the saints when they, when they come together. Do You remember in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 there's a passage we often will quote here in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 for i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes to the jew first and also the greek. But you remember what he says right before that in verse 15. Let me read this to you. Romans chapter 1 verse 15. Paul says right before he makes that statement that I'm not ashamed, he says, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The city of Rome. I mean, this really is no different than than Daniel being in Babylon. Rome was a, a, a the Roman Empire was a godless city, a godless empire. And Paul says, listen, I am eager to go and to preach to you, my Lord, in that dark place. He says, I am not ashamed. I'm not going to bow down uh, when I come there. James chapter 4, verse 4. James leaves us with some powerful words here when he says, and really emphatically, he says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Listen, when we make ourselves an enemy of God, you know, we're bowing down with the rest of society. How easily, think about this, how easily could Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have just decided, listen, um, nobody knows about this. Let's just bow down that first time. We'll still be, uh, we'll still be uh, uh, to God, uh, but let's just bow down so that people aren't going to notice us. Uh, that people aren't going to wonder about us. And no one would have blamed them, would they? Uh, they just wanted to live. But friends, how does that further the cause of Christ When we're bowing down with the world, our world needs Jesus and they need to see our light, that light shining. But some of us will say, but I don't want to look like that, you know, that weird religious guy, you know, that's always talking about Jesus in the workplace. But friends, how are we going to let our light shine if we're bowing down with the rest of the world? So that's the first point we want to know to stand up when others bow down. Secondly, we need to believe God is able to do the impossible. Believe God is able to do the impossible. That's what they did. They believed God was able to uh, do that. They said that. In fact, our God is able. They said, "What God can rescue us?" I'll tell you what God can rescue us. Nebuchadnezzar, our God, He can because nothing is too hard for the Lord. Do we really believe that? In Jeremiah chapter thirty-two, and I'm going to turn to here because I want to read a few passages here from Jeremiah chapter thirty-two. This is happening during pretty much the same time as David is in, cap, excuse me, Daniel is in captivity in Jeremiah chapter thirty-two. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar he's continuing his siege on the holy lands uh, here, and uh, <clears throat> this is about eighteen years later. Daniel's already in captivity by this time, but he's they still you know sieges didn't happen just uh, in a day, right? These took years and years and years to, to take over a country, to take over a nation. And so, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's continuing his siege here, and Jeremiah, the prophet, he knows that uh, eventually the people are going to go into captivity, right? And they explain, or he explains to the people throughout in this chapter by saying in verse 33, listen, you guys won't listen. God keeps teaching you, but you won't listen. In verse 34, he says, you guys are are worshiping these idols. You're bringing these detestable things in the house of God. And in verse 35, he says, you guys are practicing uh, child sacrifices, and uh, how di- disturbing, what an abomination these things are. You're going to go away into captivity. In Jeremiah, in verse three of this chapter, we see that he's imprisoned because he's been preaching this message. Well, look at verses six through 15. And again, I want to read this. I know it's a little bit lengthy, but God is going to tell Jeremiah to do something that, to you and I, uh, to you and I, uh, to our ears, this might sound impossible. But in verse six, it says, "And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hannibal, the son of Shalom, your uncle, is coming to you, saying, Buy for yourself my field, which is at Anathoth, for you have the right of redemption to buy it. Then Hannibal, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the guard, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field, please, that is in Anathoth, which is in the land of Benjamin, for you have the right of possession, and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself." Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. I bought the field which was at Anathos from Hannibal, my uncle's son, and I weighed out the silver for him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed and called in witnesses and weighed out the silver on the scales. Then I took the deed of purchase, both the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions and the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of massha'al in the sight of Hananel my uncle's son and in the sight of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase before all of the Jews who were sitting in the court of the guard and i commanded Baruch in their presence saying thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel take these deeds this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed and put them in earthenware jars that you that they may last a long time for thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel houses and fields and vineyards will again be bought in this land. I just want to kind of give you the context of what's going on here. God is telling the prophet Jeremiah that his cousin is going to come and ask that he buy his field, buy his property. Now, if you again re- realize what's going on here, this land is being taken over by the Babylonians. Right? So so who in their right mind would want to purchase this land knowing that uh, pretty soon it's going to be under a different nation's rule and authority? It's sort of if I like came to you at this time and said, you know, I have some land in the Ukraine that I'd like to sell to you. Would that be a purchase that you'd want to make? We don't know what's going to happen there anytime soon. We don't know if another nation's going to overcome it. We don't know any of those things. And so God is coming to Jeremiah again, telling him that his cousin's going to come and ask him to buy this land. Again, would you buy this land knowing that the Babylonians are taking it over? Would you buy this land knowing that that the Babylonians are just devastating the land, destroying everything? And again, Jeremiah knows that they are going to go into captivity for some 70 years. Why would you purchase this land? But God told him to do something to you and I that seems impossible. Right? But nothing Nothing is too difficult for the Lord, because He ends this chapter by saying, in verse forty-three, "Fields will be bought in this land of which you say it is a desolation without man or beast. It is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Men will buy fields for money, sign and seal deeds, and call in witnesses in the land of Benjamin, in the environs of Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the Negev. And I will restore their fortunes," declared the Lord. God says. Again, nothing is too difficult for me. Yes, you're going away into captivity, but I'm going to restore all of this to you. And so here's an object lesson through the, to, through the prophet Jeremiah. Buy this land, sign the deeds, put it in this earthenware jar, protect it for years to come. Because, you know, 70 years later, when the people come back from the land, they're going to see that. And they're going to know that God was true and he did the impossible. He sent his people into captivity, but he promised them to come back. Again, that sounds a little impossible. He says to you and I be faithful until de- until death and I will give you the crown of life. Does that sound impossible to you? Well, we need to believe that God is able to do the impossible. Finally, let's look at one more last point this morning is that we need to recognize that God is still God no matter the outcome. He is still God no matter the outcome. They didn't know if God was going to save them, save them from that fire. Matter of fact, they said even if he doesn't, you know, they didn't care. Again, because our God is able but even if he doesn't, you know, maybe that's a verse you ought to highlight. Even if he doesn't, we will still be faithful to God. That's sort of what Job said in Job 13, verse 15. You remember when he says, though he slay me, I will still hope in him. Right? That's the attitude we ought to have. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. But we know that there are people of faith who act as people of faith as long as God is doing what they feel like God should be doing. Right? He's operating how I want him to operate. Right? He's answering my prayers. He's helping me through difficult times. But when things go a wire, when things get tough, we start to question him, don't we? Why, God, why aren't you here? Why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you listening? Listen, I know I've heard thousands and thousands of these illustrations of faithful Christians who, in some sort of scenario, lost their faith. I can think of right now a, a pair of uh, you know, faithful Christians who lost their, their, their daughter to a drunk driving accident. The, their, their daughter was hit by a drunk driver and, and she died. And of course, those parents, they were just so upset, so frustrated. Why, God, why? And they walked away from the faith. They walked away from the Lord. And again, I've heard this a thousand times and in different scenarios, but they'll say, well, how can you allow this evil and this pain and suffering in my life? Well, hopefully, hopefully, you know, you and I will come to that realization of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that even uh, even if he doesn't save us from this fiery furnace, we are still going to serve him. Right. God is still God. Now, hopefully, uh, everyone will come back from that. Hopefully, they will, but sadly, mostly won't. Listen, our God is able, but even if he doesn't, will you still trust in him? Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read a couple passages from Hebrews chapter 11 before we close. But Hebrews chapter 11. Of course, this is, a, uh, this is a chapter that you ought to know very well. The, the Hall of Faith. Uh, all of these great lessons of by faith Noah did this, by faith Moses did that, by faith Abraham did this, and all of these great lessons. And then you get down towards the end, you know, in verse 34, for instance, uh, the first thing it mentions there in verse 34 is that uh, some of the faithful quench the power of fire. You know, maybe that's a nod to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know, but maybe that is. Uh, but, but do you remember how this chapter ends? You know, if we, if we look at verse 35... Uh, Let's just start reading in verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mocking and scourging. Yes, and also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. You know, we get the, the, the point here. Uh, many died because of their faith. Right? We, we begin reading in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 and we start to notice the faithful who, who by faith did these great things. And you know what? On the other end of it, God was still their God. But at the end of this chapter, we read about those who were faithful to the end who died these serious, uh, disturbing ways, sawn in two, I mean, in the fire, all of these different ways. But you know what? Their God was still their God. And he even says here in verses 39 through 40, and all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better to us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Though he slay me. Though he slay me, God is still God. Though I become unfaithful to him. Friends, God is still God. And he's waiting for you to return. God is still God no matter the outcome. And we need to remember that as well. This morning, will others see you as someone with a steadfast faith? Someone like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Standing up for God when others are bowing down. But trusting that God can do the impossible. Knowing that no matter what happens, that he is still in control. See, the faith of these three young men is a clear picture of total surrender to the Lord. Does our faith, does your faith, does my faith give a clear picture of total surrender to the Lord? We cannot be afraid to be people of light in this community, in this world, to shine our lights for Jesus. We can't be afraid to tell others about that light, again, of Jesus. We are in the midst of a fiery furnace today. We know that. We go outside. We, we go into the world. We know that things are coming at us in all different directions. And there's only two things that are going to happen. Either it's going to refine us and make us stronger. Or we're going to be consumed by that fire. This morning I want to leave us with reading Hebrews chapter 2. If you're still in the book of Hebrews, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 1. We'll just read these last four verses. But I want you to notice what the Hebrews writer says here. And verse 1 here is up on the board as well. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. For this reason, friends, we must stay, pay much closer attention to the things that we have heard. Again, when we study the chapters like Daniel chapter 3 and we see the faith of these young men who who didn't bow down, who, who stood up for their faith. Again, how does that make you feel? Hopefully that makes us feel motivated to be strong in the faith as they were. To to stand up at those things. And this morning, as we offer the invitation, maybe that's you. Maybe maybe you need strength and the encouragement of the the congregation here. Maybe maybe you felt as if uh, you aren't living that Christian life that you ought to. We would love the opportunity to help you this morning, to pray for you, to encourage you on your Christian walk. Or maybe this morning you have not put Christ on in baptism. Uh, maybe you haven't become a Christian. Again, no, what no better time than this morning in front of the brothers and sisters here. Uh, we assist you as you've heard God's word, that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that you are going to repent of your sins, you're going to confess Him as Lord, and you're going to be baptized for the forgiveness of the sins, of your sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you to His church. Your sins will be washed away. And what a glorious thing that is to be. And we would love no better than to help you this morning as together we stand and sing the song of encouragement.